37. Genesis chapter 45, verse number 5. I'm going to start in verse 4. Joseph, and we'll come back to this here in just a few minutes as we go through the story of Joseph, has just revealed himself to his brothers. It's one of the most moving accounts in all of Scripture. It's it's one of my favorite places to read in the entire Bible. Verse 4 says this, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore, notice immediately where he goes. Be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land. And yet there are five years in which which there shall neither be uh, earing or harvest. So he's been in place now for nine years as prime minister of Egypt. It says, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, Genesis chapter 50. Genesis 50. Jacob has now died. His father Israel has died. Verse 19 and 20, I'll read two verses. And Joseph said unto them, his brothers were afraid once their dad died, that Joseph would take vengeance. Joseph said unto them, fear not, for I, for, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask your blessing upon the service tonight. Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. Lord, please control what I say and how I say it. Please help me to stay true to your word and not to to depart from it. Lord, may it help us. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never trusted Christ as Savior, Lord, I pray that conviction in that drawing, that even this evening, that repentance and faith in Christ would take place. Lord, may you be glorified. I pray for your mercy and your grace, Lord. I love you, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, on Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of Ruth. We concluded chapter 1 this morning, looking at those last few verses when Ruth arrived back in Bethlehem. We saw her words when she arrived, how she was the talk of town, and yet we saw Ruth blaming God for all that happened to her. The Almighty hath afflicted me. The Almighty hath testified against me. The Almighty hath dealt bitterly against me. Call me Mara. And and we dealt with the fact of how when bitterness starts to set in, it changes your perspective of a situation. We saw how she overstated when she left. She said, when I left, I was full, when that wasn't true. When she left Bethlehem, it was a sad day. There was a famine in the land. The Midianites were probably in control uh, during the time of Judges when she left. She was leaving family and friends, heading to a place, heading to Moab. And then when she returned, she said, I am empty. 
And again, much like, and I did not go there this morning, but I could have, much like even David did. Also overstating at that time her present condition in the trials. She did not come back empty. She came back very difficult, as we saw that in last Sunday's message. I mean, what she went through is incredible. There's few in Scripture we see who had to face tragedy upon tragedy like Ruth did. But God did not send her back empty. She had Ruth. She still had family back in Bethlehem. She had a home to go to. She had a kinsman. More than one. And so this morning, we began to get into the idea where forgiveness can can come into play and, and how when bitterness begins to set in, forgiveness goes out the door. And so tonight, I decided to preach a message dealing with forgiveness. And primarily, from the life of Joseph. When you're back in Genesis chapter 37, we're introduced to Joseph. He's 17 years old in Genesis 37, and the next... Uh, the next, what, 13, 14 chapters here, all except uh, chapter 38, deal with Joseph. He finishes it out. Between him and Abraham, they dominate the book of Genesis. He is an incredible man. He typifies Jesus Christ in many ways. One of my favorite college courses was just the life on Joseph and how he typified Christ. He really is an incredible individual. The house he grows up in that he's born into is, really has its problems. There's basically four different women serving of wives, as you will. There's 12 brothers. There's at least two sisters that we know, probably much more than that. Joseph is the second youngest. He is the oldest of the wife that Jacob loved, Rachel. And when we're introduced to him, we see he's actually in a position of leadership. We see there was a prob- one problem in the house was, was uh, favoritism. We see that in, 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 uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 37, um, in verse 4, When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. That's verse 4 if I didn't say that. So when we come into chapter 37, by the way, in that chapter is going to say three times that they hate Joseph. That they could not speak peaceably unto him. Could you imagine being Joseph? And Joseph makes this coat of many colors. Now, there's a lot of significance to that. That, that wasn't just the fact of him making clothing his, his oldest of Rachel um, a, a child. Who, again, he is the second youngest. Benjamin is the one who's younger than him. But that coat had a lot of significance that went with it. It showed that at 17 years of, of age that Joseph was actually put in charge. Many of his brothers are already married at this time. Yet he's basically put in, in the wealth of his father into a management spot at age 17. But as we're going to see, everywhere Joseph went, people recognized his wisdom and put him in leadership. He was a great leader. His dad saw it. And, of course, being put in that position, a lot of times it's portrayed that Joseph is some type of tattletale. He isn't. He's put in a position of leadership, and he's fulfilling his responsibilities. His life is difficult. He knows his, brother, his brothers hate him. Do you think he enjoys that? Of course not. It would be easier just to, just to try and go with the flow with him. But Joseph was a man who truly wanted to serve God. And, of course, God had a very special plan for his life. 
It's in this setting that God gives him these, these two dreams that we know about, where the sheaves, and they all bow down to him. His sheaves rise above the rest, and then to one of the, the sun, moon, and stars bowing down before him, all signifying how his family one day, he would be in a place of prominence with his family bowing down before him. It didn't go over well to tell his family those dreams. I mean, you could just imagine now already their attitude towards him, and then he tells this. And so, anyhow, the story progresses from there in 37, where his brothers are out still doing the work uh, 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 for their dad, feeding the flocks, and Joseph goes to check on him. He heads to the check him first. That was a really good journey from where he was. We're talking almost 50 miles. We're talking, a, we're, we're talking, uh, we're talking a good probably you know, six, seven days of travel just to get there, if not a couple more days. He gets there, they're not there. He checks with them, and yep, they were here, they're down in Dothan now. So he heads down there, it's probably another 20 miles. He heads down there, when they see, when they see Joseph coming, they begin to plot against him. Their hatred is strong. You can, you can tell, even before he arrived, I, I'd imagine he's been in a position of leadership for not too long, being 17 years of age. They can't stand him. They actually begin to plot to murder him when they see him. Let's, let's kill him. Let's get rid of him. And, of course, Reuben speaks up. says He wasn't there initially. He comes back and says, we're not going to do this. They get Joseph. They throw him in a pit. Now, get this. While he's in the pit, begging and crying out, his brothers sit down and have lunch. But then a Midianite comes by. The Midianite comes by. And they agree to sell him to the Midianite. They say, let's get rid of him. We'll sell him as a slave. And that's what they do. They sold him as a slave. Little did they know how much God is in control. Now, Joseph, keep this in mind. You're going to see the importance of forgiveness. Joseph, in his mind, thinks he already knows exactly what the will of God for his life is. He doesn't understand it all, but he knows what God has already showed him, that he will somehow rise to a place of prominence. He knows that's God's will. He doesn't understand how it's going to happen or whatever. But I assure you, he never thought the way to rise into prominence was by becoming a slave. And of course, as the Midianite travels and I think a couple other business arrangements were made, he ends up down in Egypt at Potiphar's house and he's sold there. He becomes a servant in that household. And of course, that man immediately recognizes Joseph's leadership and wisdom. He's placed over the household. Again, the guy was an amazing leader. He's leading over the household, and we all know the story. Potiphar's wife begins to set her eyes on him. Joseph evades the temptation. He stays right. He stays pure. And he gets accused of rape, which certainly wasn't true at all. And I certainly think that even Potiphar knew that Joseph never attempted to rape his wife. I think he would have executed him had he believed it. He was a servant. But he did have him cast in prison. So here's Joseph. Now he was a slave. He knows God's will is to rise to a place of prominence. Now he goes to an even worse condition. Now he's in prison for the rest of his life. At least that's what he thinks. At least that's what the sentence is, I should say. I don't know that Joseph thinks that, of course. He's in prison. While he's in prison, guess what happens? The captain of the prison recognizes this guy has wisdom. This guy's a leader. 
he once again is placed in a position of leadership, even though he's a prisoner. Everywhere he goes, the guy's put in leadership. While he's in prison, a couple of a plot to assassinate the pharaoh was discovered. The butler and the baker are cast into the prison. They know one of them is behind it. And anyhow, they have dreams that come up, and Joseph interprets their dreams. He lets them know the baker's going to be executed here in a couple of days, and the butler's going to be restored. That's exactly what takes place. And Joseph pleads with the butler. He says, listen, I am here for a crime I did not commit. Please, when you get before Pharaoh, remember me. Well, guess who forgets? The butler. The butler. But it's all of God. Some time passes. Some time passes and Pharaoh has some horrible, horrible dreams that come up. They were terrifying. When you read some of the wording there in that chapter, it's described as they were terrifying to him. They got his attention, in other words. He has these seven cows, or, you know, it's debated what they were, but more like these seven cows going directly by the word, are coming up out of the water, and they're fat, and, 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 you know, obviously well-fed, and then you have these seven behind them that come up that are just horrible-looking. I mean, bones and nasty-looking, and they devour the fat ones. And yet, even though they devour them, they have no increase. And then the other dream was the seven, the, 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 the stalk of corn with seven good ears, and, and then, the, then the other one comes up that's thin and nasty looking, and it too devours the good one, and yet there's no increase. And he's troubled, and he's calling for interpretation of the dream. Nobody can do it. Then finally, again, not a coincidence, the butler remembers Joseph. I know somebody that can help you. So here's Joseph in prison one day. And the next day brought before Pharaoh. Of the known world of that region, he's the most powerful man. Joseph is before him. And he tells Joseph his dreams, and Joseph doesn't hesitate. Again, you see his leadership, his wisdom immediately. You see the fact that the Spirit of God is upon him. And he says, oh, you have to understand this dream, Pharaoh. God is telling you what he's getting ready to do. This is something of God. He said, you, you need to listen to this. This is what's going to take place. You're going to have seven years of a great harvest, and then you're going to have seven years of a horrible famine, so much so that, 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 that from that, those seven great years, there's going to be just no resemblance of it by the time we finish that. Joseph doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says, listen, what you better do is you had better appoint a man over this. And he comes up with this elaborate, just on the spot. It's, it's the first, really, income tax that we see in the Bible, 20%. He goes, you need to start collecting 20% now of all crops. Storing them. Preparing for those seven other years that are going to come. Pharaoh is just, he just can't believe the wisdom of this man. He's amazed. And he asks those around him, does anybody doubt that this guy should be in control right now? Should be in authority? Nobody does. At that point, he's basically made prime minister of Egypt. The only one above him is Pharaoh. Pharaoh puts his ring on him. 
He comes to the second chariot. I mean, all of a sudden, he goes from, this, from, from the prison. And you better believe, know what's in Joseph's mind right now? It's going to be much clearer here in, two, in, in, in uh, nine more years. It's going to be much clearer. But I believe it's already starting in his mind that day. This is what God intended. He knows why everything that happened to him. He understands it. Really is incredible. He's standing before Pharaoh. He interprets the dream. He is made prime minister of Egypt. And then we fast forward. From that day, nine years. The seven years of plenty are gone. We're two years into the famine. And it's just, such, it's just so incredible to read in the Bible. When his brothers come before him. Ten of them. He's there one day, and all of a sudden, again, of God that Joseph happens to see them. He hears them talking. He understands them, of course. And Joseph takes Simeon and sends the others back. He says, he said, oh, I'm going to prove you. What, he, what he's really trying to do is to see if there's a measure of repentance in place in their life. And he says, listen, you, you mentioned you have one other brother yet, Benjamin, that your father is still alive. I think you're spies. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to test that. I want you to go and get your younger brother and bring him back to me. Let me meet this younger brother and I'll believe your story. He says, but I, and, and he ends up keeping Simeon and he sends them back. He goes back and Jacob again is just broken. He says, no, you're not taking Benjamin. It's not happening. Now, I, I've already lost Joseph. Now Simeon is gone. I'm not going to send Benjamin and he refuses to do it. But the famine is sore. They're running out of food. And they're pleading with them. Primarily Reuben and Judah pleading with them. Please, we need to head back. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, um, Jacob says, go back. And they, and, but he still won't let him take Benjamin. And, and they, they plead with him. We have to take Benjamin. Do you understand? We have to. If we don't, we'll get nothing. We have to bring Benjamin. And Judah steps up and says, uh, uh, listen, you, you can... You can take my sons in his stead. Please, uh, you have to let us take Benjamin. Jacob agrees. So they return. And Joseph sees them, and he sees Benjamin, his little brother. And once he sees them, he hasn't brought him to his house. Amazing what he does. He has them sit down in order by age. <laughs> He has plenty of food put before all of them, except he has five times as much put before Benjamin. He still wants to see if repentance is in place. So he's going to send them back, and he actually hides uh, one of the cups from the house that was valuable in the bag of Benjamin. And he sends them on their way. Once they leave, he, he goes down with his men and says, listen, why have you rewarded me evil for good? I've taken care of you. I, I, I've, I've done this, but you, you have stolen some. They say, no, we haven't stolen anything. And so they start, to, they start to search all the bags. They start from the oldest. They go down to Benjamin. And could you imagine the horror when they pull that cup out of, out of Benjamin's bag? They can't believe it. Judah once again steps up. No, please don't take him. Take me. And he tells them, this is what I told my dad. You have to take me. 
And Joseph realizes repentance is in place. They're now willing to sacrifice for their brother. Let's read now in Genesis chapter 45. This is just incredible. If doing your devotions, it's one of those times if you finish in chapter 44, there's just no way you can close your Bible. Verse 45, we pick it up. Judah has just finished pleading his case. It says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and there are yet five years in the which shall neither earing nor harvest. And God has sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he made me a, a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me and tarry not. Thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. And it goes on from there. Could you imagine Joseph here in this news? Now, all of them, especially, of course, Joseph and all of them, they're remembering the dreams when God revealed to Joseph at 17 years of age his will. It was 13 years before he stood before Pharaoh. This is nine years after that. So we're, we're 22 years into this. 22 years before it came to fruition. Jacob comes and there's just an amazing reunion that takes place. Again, I hope there's those DVDs up in heaven that we can watch these things when they happen. I mean, I like, you ever watch those military reunions when they're gone for a year? But think of this, this dad thought his son was dead. It's been all these years, 22 years. And the other chapters deal with Israel's blessing, Jacob's blessing on his boys and whatnot. They get settled in the land and he dies. When he dies, the brothers are very afraid. Want to know why? What do they think was going to take place? Vengeance. They said the only reason he's, he's suffered us thus far is because dad was alive. Now that dad's dead, we, he's going to, he's going to, it's payback time. And in chapter 50, when we read that verse in verse 20, it's Joseph saying, no, that's, that's not what's going to happen here. I understood how God was using this. Joseph had been abused by his brothers. They wanted to murder him. 
He heard them talk of it. They mistreated him. They hated him. They ended up selling him as a slave. Yet Joseph has forgiveness completely in place. And through his life, we see how important forgiveness is. The first point is this. Why did Joseph forgive his brothers? Why was it so easy? Why, why, why was there no hesitation? He was sold as a slave as a result of that. He's, he's a slave in, in an Egyptian's house, a, a captain of the army's house. He's accused of a crime he doesn't commit. He ends up in prison. Forgiveness, though, it wasn't even difficult. Listen, this is, if we're going to get, there's several things I'm going to cover. There's several things I want you to get, but this is probably the most important. The reason why Joseph had no problem forgiving his brothers is because of his theology. It's because of what he knew about God. As I mentioned this morning, your view of God affects how you serve God. Satan will do whatever he can to distort your view of God. I remember, you've heard me talk about it back in 1989, I was brand new in the Air Force. I was beginning to take some Bible college classes at that time, correspondence, and I got a course in. And at the time, it was still a Baptist church, but it's since changed names. And it was a, 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 a man who has risen to a prominent place. He has an emergent church. It's, there, there's, there's nothing of a New Testament church really about him, and that was Rick Warren. And one of the, there's two course books I got, and this is before all that change took place. It was one, 12 Dynamic Bible Study Methods. It was actually pretty decent. And one of them, I can't remember the name of it, he had this statement, and I just had to put it down. I, I used to write that college several times, you really need to change textbooks. I mean, this is really not good to put out. And he talked about if Christ was alive today, and he was describing it. And I couldn't believe what I was reading. He really had him as this hippie. Oh, he'd be on the beach with this little... Sh- I'm like, what? And you know what? You think when he wrote that book, his view of God directly affected how he served God. It did. You can see the fruit of what he thought about God come to pass. He needed to see God as Isaiah saw God. As high and lifted up. The thrice holy God. When Isaiah meets God in Isaiah chapter 6, that book changes. It's no longer, woe is all these other nations, it's woe is me for I am undone. His theology. A key to being able to forgive others is what you believe about God. What Joseph told them over and over in Genesis 45 and in Genesis chapter 50 was, listen, it's okay. God was in control. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What Joseph was able to recognize, and it led to forgiveness, was that God was in control. Although you were going to use this for evil, God used it for good. I see why he did it. And you think about Joseph's life, what God took him through. He ends up in Potiphar's house. Do you know what he learned there? The customs of Egypt. The language. That's going to be important one day for what God has for him. It wasn't on accident that he was there. 
This man is going to be ruler in Egypt. But because he believed God was in control, he was able to forgive. Again, if you have had an injustice done to you, just like Joseph, or a hurt done in your life, and you're struggling with forgiveness, the key is to understand and trust in God, His sovereignty. Allowing that to be the motivation for your forgiveness would enable Joseph to forgive. He stresses it, was what he believed about God. God's in control. God meant this for good. He believed it. Because of his belief in the sovereignty of God, it led to him trusting him for the suffering he had to endure. Even when he was in prison, you can see him in prison. The Lord never revealed to him what was coming. Only when he was 17. Yet he still trusted God. He just knew, I don't understand it. I don't see it. But the Lord knows. But the Lord knows. He knew God was taking their evil and using it for something good. By the way, isn't God amazing how he can turn evil that's done unto us and turn it into something good? Incredible. It's, and think, by, by, think about this. This is what amazes me. I have the Word of God. I have all of it. All 66 books. I have it. I can read Romans 8.28. There's not one word of it pinned in yet for Joseph. It's not pinned in. I mean, God was using dreams and visions. He did have that dream, and he, he clung to that. But I can go directly to the Word of God. I can read Romans 8.28. We see Joseph living Romans 8.28. If you are struggling with a past wrong or injustice done unto you, and you find yourself unable to forgive, you have to go back and understand who God is and understand He is in control. That we do live in a sin-cursed earth. To be able to cast all your care upon Him. To get to that place of forgiveness in your life. I want you to think about this in point number two. What happens if Joseph does not forgive? How does this change things? Let's just say Joseph does not eliminate bitterness trying to spring up in his heart like we looked at this morning. One, he never would have become prime minister. He would have become bitter. Because you see him in prison. Let's say he allowed him just dwelling on the injustice. I can't believe it. I was serving God. I was faithful. I was the son doing what's right. And look what God did to me. I'm in prison for something I never did. They wanted to kill me. And they have their freedom. Could you not see how the devil could plant thoughts in his mind to allow bitterness to fester? But think if that happened. Think if he's in prison just allowing bitterness and, and just, just focusing on the injustice that's been done to his life. And the butler and the baker come in and he hears their dreams and he knows he can interpret. He tells God, no God, I'm done with this. Serving you has gotten me nowhere. I'm done with it. He never would have found God's will. Never would have found it. Christian, that happens to us. When bitterness begins to seep in, it removes you quickly from the will of God. 
What happens if Joseph doesn't forgive? One, I said he'd remove himself from the will of God. And these are, I, I can classify these different. Dangers when we, don't, uh, when we don't practice forgiveness. Number two, anger will fester. Many times, not every time. I, I certainly can't use this as exhaustive or, or, or blanket statement here, but it's, it's true in many occasions that when you find an angry person, you find a person who struggles with forgiveness. They usually go hand in hand. Many times wives and children have to put up with an angry husband and dad not knowing who's coming home. Anger is one of those things that does eat at you. It changes how you view your precious life. You become too self-centered, thinking it's all about you. Easy for anger to come in. Don't let anger fill you up. Anger will fester. If not dealt with, it leads to what we dealt with this morning, and that is bitterness. That anger will turn to bitterness. If anger is not repented of, you're opening yourself up to a great poison, the poison of bitterness. As I tried to describe this morning, I won't spend time there now because I did this morning. That is a horrible place to live. Romans 3.14, it affects your speech, your words. Coming out cursing and bitterness. It will trouble you as Hebrews 12, we looked at this morning, and defile you. Bitterness comes in. Not only that, revenge and vengeance is what you begin to seek. Joseph talked about that. He said he wasn't about seeking vengeance. He said, he made it clear when we read in, in, in chapter 45, that was up to God. He left that in God's hand because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Do you know what? He believed that. We need to, too. Too often we have the injustice done to us and we become all about vengeance. Payback. When I was in New Guinea, that was a major problem. And again, I've talked about this before. Prior to arriving in New Guinea, I was reading uh, some of the books by the very first missionary in country. uh, I've talked about He was a brilliant man. The languages he learned are just incredible. And he learned, I think it was seven of the languages, tribal languages. How he could learn two is beyond my comprehension. But he learned seven. What he found common in all the languages was this, that he learned. There was no word for forgiveness. If you understand how a language works, that means this. The concept of forgiveness wasn't present. And you read later on, some 60 years after him, missionaries who don't deal with that, top, uh, that subject, but yet that's why they struggled there. If you've read the story Peace Child, you know what that was about? Because the concept of forgiveness really wasn't present. Because when he gave the gospel, who became the hero? Judas did. You begin to seek revenge and vengeance. And this would have destroyed the will of God for Joseph's life. God said, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will he forgive you. It's not dealing with our justification before him. That's through the blood of Christ. But it is dealing with our relationship before others and our walk with him. You become more worried about restitution than restoration. Always remember, vengeance belongs to God. It also leads to divorce. By choosing not to forgive, you are on a path that will be filled with divorce in your life. Not just in marriages, but in many of your relationships. 
When problems arise, I have news for you. Every single one of here, every single one of us in this room and in this church, we have a sin nature. You want to find problems in somebody, you can find them. It's not hard. Every single one of us struggles with our flesh. If you want to go through a series of divorces in your relationships, you allow unforgiveness to fester in your life. Many marriages have ended because forgiveness isn't present. It was not given. You'll never have a successful marriage without forgiveness being in place. And that's, that's perhaps where it's needed most often because you have two sinners living together so close, you see the worst in each other as well as the best. But we see this divorce from friends, from parents, from children. Unforgiveness destroys relationships. We need to understand forgiveness. We are sinful people. You will not have right and strong relationships in your life without forgiveness. And if you want to see your relationships in this life transform, practice forgiveness. The fact is you need to forgive so you're not a hypocrite. You can think of the, uh, of the parable Jesus told about the man who was forgiven his debt. And it was a large debt. And he heads right out. Right out. Right after, right after his Lord forgives him. <laughs> and, and he goes to a man that had, that had a, a debt before him, a smaller, a much tiny one compared to what he had. And the man begs for forgiveness and mercy. And he has none. Please remember, you need grace and forgiveness. How dare you forgive to give it to someone else? Now, this is important. Let me cover this. When I deal with people struggling with forgiveness, this, is, this, is, this comes up often. Forgiveness does not mean you forget what happened. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you forget what happened. I've heard that preached. There's simply no truth in that. You, God, when you forgive, God does not remove that memory from your mind. There's no truth in that. Joseph knew exactly what happened to him. He brings it up in both chapters, 45 and 50. But what he did was this. He chose to see God in it. It was his perspective that was right in how he looked at it. Not that the memory was gone. It's how he looked at it. It's choosing to change your perspective on the situation. It's choosing to show grace and not revenge. It's choosing to see, all right, listen, I, God's in this. I know I need grace and forgiveness. It's allowing that perspective to control you. It doesn't mean you forget. You say, well, what happens to those who don't ask for forgiveness? That happens at times. Ideally, they come to you and ask for forgiveness. It restores relationships. I mean, just like when you go through Joseph and his brethren, there's a section in there. I don't think I read the verse. I'm trying to remember. Where it simply says this. It, it, it talks about Joseph and they talked. Do you know how sweet that is? 
that they had their fellowship. This is the guy they wanted to murder, that they stole as a slave, that ends up being put in prison as a result. And Joseph, let's just talk. You know what his forgiveness allowed for? The relationship to be right. But there are times, due to different circumstances, where the other person will not admit their guilt, nor come to you for forgiveness. In some cases, it's impossible. Whether it's a separation, circumstances arise. So what do we do? Well, forgiveness is still possible. You make the choice to let go of the anger and the hurt to show grace. It's not easy. I understand that. This is easy to say. I understand in our life, but that's where we have Romans chapter 8 living. It's getting out of Romans chapter 7 and into Romans chapter 8. Out of the good that I would, I do not. Yet the evil that I would not, that I do. It's getting into Romans chapter 8, allowing God's Spirit to control your life. It's choosing to let go of the bitterness, to let go of the wrong, and just choose the grace and forgiveness. Even if the person doesn't ask. That's a whole lot better than bitterness setting in. We have Christ's example of this in Luke 23, 34. Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. They did not ask for forgiveness. We forgive. Because number one, as we've seen here today, the sovereignty of God. He's in control. We forgive, number two, Ephesians 4.32, because Christ has forgiven us. That's what Ephesians 4.32 is dealing with. Forgive one another, even as Christ, even as has God for Christ, they have forgiven you. Our forgiveness is not based on the other person, but on God and a desire to please Him. You forgive because it frees you from bitterness or from bitterness setting in. It frees us from the place of the devil being able to manipulate our life and cause much greater destruction. Because once he sees your mind in that place and the root of bitterness grabbing hold, oh, you can be defiled. He'll control. He'll manipulate we finish with this. I'm not going to get into the whole story of it here this evening. But many of you know my last couple years in PNG, we had those gruesome murders take place. Um, and Aramis, who certainly was not a good man in the village, he wasn't. I dealt with him many times, giving him the gospel many times, was not a good man. He had murdered his own wife. And the events that unfolded, the murder of Aramis, all that took place, you could just see the desire for vengeance taking over a village, controlling it. 
you want to talk about as a missionary at that time who had been there 10 years, seeing 10 years worth of work being undone. Because vengeance was coming in. Vengeance belongs to God. If you want the right relationships, forgiveness is necessary. Joseph is such a great example. Why did he forgive so easily? His belief in the sovereignty of God. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Perhaps you're here. You're not certain. I'm going to ask you a very important question right now. If you were to die right now, where would you go? I want you to think about that. If you're to die right now, see, death is when your soul separates from your body. The word actually means separation. Where is that soul going? It goes to one of two places. Either it goes to be in the presence of the Lord. For the Christian, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But for the non-Christian, it goes to a very, very real place called hell. Do you know what's going to happen to you? The Bible says it is appointed men once to die, but after this, the judgment. One day you will die and God will judge you. He will judge you based upon his law, Romans chapter 2. Just like me, you have broken His law. We can go through command after command after command. You've broken it just like I have. That puts us in a really bad position because we know from Revelation 20 and 21, which is the most exhaustive view we have of Judgment Day, that 100% of those found guilty are cast into a lake of fire. And we're guilty. Something has to take place where you look perfect. Perfect. That's God's requirement, and none of us are perfect. That's why Jesus Christ came to the earth, to make you look perfect. God became a man, lived on this earth 30-some years, and lived the perfect life. The only one who's ever done or ever will do it. He's the only one who can go to that judgment day as a man, and the Father could say, you are innocent. I find no fault. Now, don't miss this. He lived that perfect life for you. When he went to the cross, God the Father placed upon his son all of our sin. The Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So a transaction takes place. He put upon him the sin of us all and judged him, literally judged him in your place. So that he could give you, it says, his righteousness. Think of that. If he takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness, guess what it looks like before God? You're perfect. We call that the doctrine of justification. He died for you. Hell did not hold him, though. He's God. After three days and three nights, he arose again from the dead. If you'll come to him in repentance and faith, he will save you. Say, Pastor, please, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I, I, I hear you. I don't know that heaven is my home. Please pray for me. Just slide your hand up real quick. Let me acknowledge it. You can put it back down. I won't call you out. 
Anybody? I see a couple of small children. Anybody else? Just raise your hand and put it back down. If you did put your hand up, I missed it. I would need you to do it again. All right. Christian, if you need to come and pray, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.